0: Hello and welcome to Your Book, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan, and the author of The Sisterhood, How to Be a Grown-Up, and Insatiable, A Love Story for Greedy Girls. If you'd like a signed copy of any of these, do ask at your local bookshop and I will hook you up with a book plate. Assuming that real-life events are going ahead, I'll be appearing at the Bath Book Festival on May the 21st with Caleb Zuma-Nelson and at the EA Festival on August the 1st, with further events to be announced tickets are available online. Now on to today's guest. I've been longing to invite Emma-Jane Unsworth onto the podcast ever since I read her electrifying novel Animals, her darkly funny, heartbreaking book about friendship, hedonism and changing lives. At the time of recording, Animals the Movie, starring Holiday Granger, is available to stream on all four we're also celebrating the paperback release of The Brilliant Adults, a form of Steel of the Week, a book about life's awkward landings, obsession, dashed hopes and dealing with being an adult child. And this week sees the release of After the Storm, Emma's memoir about postnatal depression, early motherhood and identity. It's an intense subject, but as always, because it's Emma, it's emotional, honest and darkly funny. We talked about werewolves, moving books and moving house and our literary fighting history with a special mention for Julie Cooper. We've been talking about houses off mic. Are there any houses in books that you love or any stories of like buildings that you've dreamed of living in or going and exploring? This is such a good question. But let me think about houses, and I re- I really love
2: drooling over like really futuristic houses, like that are architecturally impressive. They've got lots of nice clean lines because I live in a house that's so messy and chaotic. I think this is just like purely, aspir- purely aspirational for me in terms of tidiness. Um, here's a here's a good story though that I've just remembered about you know the house. What's Mister Rochester's house called in Jane Eyre? Is it called Thornfield? Yes, that's what it's called. So, my friend for her Hindu, my friend Sarah, for her Hindu about five years ago, she managed to book, because it's a National Trust property, the house that inspired Charlotte Bronte to describe Thornfield. So, the very house that Thornfield was based on is available to rent for like a girls' weekend. And that's what we did.
1: Oh, wow. and we even had t
2: shirts made saying, reader, she married him because <laughs> we were just so hilarious. <laughs> And it was so good. But you know what? When we were at that house, I mean, it was fabulous. It was like this kind of castle, this really gloomy castle, but very narrow, and very small, like a small castle. And it had like really old features inside and it had really creepy windows and very sort of exactly, very gothic, exactly how you'd, you'd want it to be. And it snowed <gasps> while we were there. And we all got snowed in. There's about 10 girls all got snowed in. And then we had to, we ran out of, of booze, surprisingly. And so we we decided to trek to the shops using a sledge that was there. We decided to trek across the moors. in the snow to buy more prosecco and someone broke their ankle one of our gang broke their ankle because they they stepped um off what they thought was a very small ledge but you know snow with its amazing ability to disguise things it was actually a massive ledge and and she fell and broke her ankle and we had to get i mean this is like something out of a, of a bronte bug right or jane austen and um we had to get mountain rescue to come and help and come in and get,
0: oh my god and so go what back to the house did go someone to ring 999 and
2: yeah exactly and we are like they had to like come and rest. and they were like bloody hell you know there they are load of girls load of stupid people on there, you know going with a sledge to to buy more prosecco
0: Presumably still feeling the effects of the last of the prosecco oh absolutely bit. yeah if not
2: still drunk uh, maybe we we saved a little bit of the of the remaining prosecco for our journey you know to to, <laughs> <laughs>
0: for, to the road, you. <laughs> for the road
2: for the like having and, um, brandy
0: in the st bernard's barrels exactly that exactly that we just had prosecco in the sledge instead and your all in your your t-shirts that is glorious. Yeah, they're all there,
2: like obviously on endo,
0: <laughs> and I feel as though anyone listening—I mean, I'm—I'm I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if I can rent that house. Not yeah. any sort of not taking the cautionary message of not getting drunk in the snow <laughs> and searching for booze. <laughs> That's a good question. Actually, do you have any favorite literary boozers or book drinkers that you admire? Oh yeah, like Jean
2: Rhys. Mm. She's great. Um, and she's a yeah a good boozer and then who else who's really boozy in people have told me over and over that Charles Bukowski is the one here but I've never really been able to get into him and also um, Dylan Thomas he's a boozer isn't he right um, but again, never really got into it. Although I do like his phrase, it was a pig of a night. That's a really good one, isn't it? It was a pig of a night when it was, when the weather's vile.
0: But yeah, I don't, I'm trying to think of of ladies who booze. I'm in the middle of writing something about Jilly Cooper and um, oh. Helen's first lunch with Rupert Campbell Black. And I think he they sit down and he, before he's actually in his, the chair, he's ordered a bottle of Dom Perignon. And then <laughs> he orders... And he's like, well, well, we'll have a bottle. We'll have the number six. But we better have another bottle of champagne to be going on with while we wait. We <laughs> finished this in about eight minutes. And Helen's not much of a drinker. But I think that this notion in her world of like Janie Lloyd Fox and BT Johnson being these journalists who just, they're, you know, they're sort of like Metahari. They're just drunkenly seducing people for secrets. this the idea that everyone can, you know, have about nine pints of wine at lunch and still (laughs) just about do their job. And with, you know, sort of a little bit, they might be a bit tired and they might have a bit of a hangover, but they're ready for more drinking in the evening.
2: This is true. Like, there's a lot of lunchtime drinking in F. Scott Fitzgerald, Mm. I think, as well. And that, yeah, I mean, you've got to write your afternoon off, haven't you, if you're going to be doing that. I mean, I can't, the only time I can really drink at lunchtime and then do anything in the afternoon is on holiday. And that's because all I've got to do is lie down.
0: Maybe a little light reading and
2: yeah, maybe I'm feeling very energetic. But but yeah, but it's it's um it's something that I never managed to do in life. But yeah, that's why I guess you should always do it through your through characters, you know, things that you can't do in real life. So maybe it's um what do you call it? Wish fulfillment on the part of the authors who
0: are absolute lightweights. (laughs) It's true because they'd never (laughs) write books if they were really exactly. A couple of times I've been to Burr Island, which famously housed Agatha Christie and I think various other people from the 20s and 30s, whose names I should know, I can't remember the top of my head. It's got a kind of, you know, everything is themed around the great and good and a bit, you know, literati, bit sort of wayward aristocrats, um... And it's the island, because it's on a tiny island. It has its own pub, and the pub is quite a good place to have, you know, three pints of mild for lunch and have a little <laughs> sleep in the afternoon. And think, oh, I bet Agatha Christie did this. <laughs> well, maybe I've just been talking
2: to someone actually today about where she went. You know, she disappeared, mm. didn't she? That was like for was it thirteen days or something? Which is I've never heard this story, right? i would never heard it. Maybe she just was down the pub drinking a load of mild. Maybe that.
0: Maybe she on just the did island. a thirteen-day bender. Yeah, that's really fascinating, though, isn't it? Because it's such a like it's weird that more is known, I think, about Stephen Fry going off and disappearing than Agatha Christie Mm. doing Mm. it. And it's so I forget as well. It's so radical because there are so many myths about her and everything about her, um, the worlds that she sort of moved in her Her versatility, we think, oh, of course, there was Agatha Christie going off and doing it all like Superwoman. She's just one of those, you know, magic people from the past who just did all this Mm. stuff like Charles Dickens or something. And then you do think, actually, it really was radical to work like that and to have that kind of a body of work and to live that life. And I've never read any other
2: Agatha Christie, which is probably so... quite shameful on some level as well, isn't it? Because um, she has, it's like, she's such a Titan and so many people talk about it, but I've never actually read any, but isn't she the biggest selling female author ever?
0: Yes. I was wondering <laughs> whether, and I've got nothing really to back this up, but I've got half a drunken dinner party theory that with art, most arts so much in the way of time and space is required, and to a to a point, you need maybe permission to to create it. Whether that's someone you know giving you some money or sponsorship or or room or just you know a break from other duties and things that other people want you to do, and maybe writing is the one thing that is obviously it's not easy to. Right, you know, when you're a woman in the 19th century with lots of people who don't want you to do it and people who are getting in your way, but maybe it is easier than, I don't know, painting or making music. Yeah, maybe because it is
2: something you can do in secret quite discreetly. I know this because I make notes in my iPhone all the time when I'm meant to be doing other things. I wrote the first 16,000 words of animals on my iPhone. Um, whilst I was doing other things like out for drinks with people around, which is very rude, isn't it? But I just kept getting ideas for it. And even now I, yeah, I do. I use my iPhone notes constantly for for, for writing because it is something you can do while you've got one hand doing something else or your, your mind does something else or you, you're running around. Um, Whereas painting, it's a bit trickier, that isn't it? Kind of on the bus or, or you know, like in the kitchen. It's a bit tricky to just, just you know, do a few, a few brush, casual, yeah, brush brush strokes.
0: You can't just write down really deep blue or maybe a horse.
2: (laughs) Same with sculpture, you know, it's a really tricky one. And pottery is really, really hard to do while you're doing something else.
0: And you sound like you've tried. about trying
2: pottery oh do you know it's so appealing because it's not it's non-verbal all the non-verbal things are appealing I think mm. when you're a writer and you're procrastinating um yeah and it's just like a different way of, of expressing yourself a different way of thinking that isn't thinking really isn't it and it, that's 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 quite nice definitely- <laughs> because otherwise language just leads you down an analytical path yes. that's so tiring so yeah I've often I've thought about the idea a few friends of mine are doing pottery actually maybe it's the thing we do you know just to stage in life, Um, we just get into something like pottery or painting as a way to give our our noisy heads a break.
0: Oh, I find that very appealing. I really, really do. Kind of on that theme, over the last strange year we've had when our brains have never been noisier and harder to corral, have you read more or less or read differently? Have you found yourself reaching for comforting things or... Dramatic, terrifying things to take the edge off. I have read
2: a lot less for the past few years, which is partly because of the pandemic and partly because I had a baby, another baby and And I just find that times when I read are massively affected by that, because my favorite time to read is going to bed and then when I wake up and and those are my times and those times you know, with with a small child around for me on make it impossible for me to to read because I wake up when they wake me up. So I have no time. And then when I'm going to sleep, I'm so tired that as soon as I get into bed my head hits the pillow. I'm just out. So so yeah. And then and then aside from that, I just whenever I get time, I guess I want to use it for writing. Whenever I get that sort of lonely time. Um, so I don't get to read all that much at the moment. But that's OK, because this is just a life phase that I have chosen for now. And that, you know, and, and that's just how it's it's working out time wise. Yeah. And, and sadly, reading is one of the things that I don't have as much time for at the moment, because you can't do everything as much as you want to. And that's what we're told we can do. You can't. And some things do have to go on the back, back burner a little bit. Um, I think while we do other stuff, whatever that thing might be, whether it's you know having a baby or taking on extra work responsibility or caring for a parent or you know whatever that is, um, I think that that means you've got less time and you and you're more tired. Um, but that's that's certainly how it's worked out for me. But I have read some, I've read some things that have I've done some rereading. I, I tend to reread Carrie Fisher's postcards from the Edge at least once a year. Could oh, just I place.
0: love that book so oh. much.
2: Just fills my heart with joy. And it's such a tonic and such a comfort. And I recommend it to everyone and I buy it for everyone as presents. And it's just so lovely and it never ages. And it's just so funny. It's just a real laugh. And so
0: I think I remember reading it as a teenager and, you know, expecting it to be good and delighting in it and reveling in it. And I was rereading it recently during a bout of insomnia and thinking, my God, the way she writes, Alex. And he's so terrible and so hilarious, and his binge. And isn't there? A, doesn't he give a dealer his the watch he got for his twenty first birthday? And he oh God, yeah, he goes away to write, and he ends up like accidentally spilling a load of cocaine like in the bath <laughs> in the water. And I think he's trying to dry it out on some towels. And that sort of.
2: I've been there.
0: <laughs> and the the energy of it, and obviously, I think that you know she was writing in a way very sort of intimate and tender details that she'd, she'd seen and known, but also giving voice and giving a strangely likeable voice to this wholly unappealing man and being able to kind of see outside of herself and see what was going on with everyone in rehab. Because I, I think she's a little bit like Nora Ephron. Um, sorry, yes. you brought up Carrie Fisher and I'm just telling you why she's so great. And you're like, yes, yes, Stacey, I know. No, this is
2: um, great. I love to have a Carrie Fisher love-in. It's my favourite thing. Please continue.
0: We are rightly so praising of and so excited by her ability to mine her life and make it entertaining and give us that really intimate reading experience. But I think we forget that she was this really masterful creator and observer of characters. And it wasn't just about her. These books sing because of the way she saw humans. Yes.
2: And and I think it is exactly that. It's about she manages to switch between the voices of Alex and the and the narrator, doesn't she? And she and she and she just does it so brilliantly and so wonderfully. It's just, yeah, she's called Suzanne, isn't she, mm. the main character? And she flicks between Alex and Suzanne, and then it becomes more of an ensemble thing towards the end. But it's just, yeah, I think it's a real masterclass in voice. And I find it really useful as a writer to to just see how she does it, you know, and just get stylistic and technique um advice and injections from it um whenever I feel like I need that. Um and also it's just brilliant in, in the way she like she captures certain things, like the things that I, things that are real that really go deep. Like the I'm really fascinated by the the point when an addict goes back to the thing what's that called is that relapse that is it sorry my brain is not working to lack of sleep that's what I'm going to blame um yeah the relapse moment that's what it's called I'm so interested in that and and in yeah what is what are the things that, that that you know combine to um, to create that moment and how does that moment feel that the all the big feelings of that moment and all the horror of that moment yeah but the description of him trying to stay off drugs but then actually ending up taking drugs again. Oh is just so moving and brilliant and awful and hilarious and, and that- grim. It's just
0: oh and the way he it. keeps changing from like, oh maybe maybe I'll just have a little white wine to maybe I'll only do Coke of on gosh. the weekends to like mm-hmm. have you read um I, th- I mean the book that I always want to go on about and I think I'd mention it every podcast and I you know, don't know if I'm just I sound like a creepy fangirl or someone seeking sponsorship, but um in Rachel's holiday, when Rachel is at home and she's left the cloisters and she goes out to Dublin and she's trying to buy Coke, but she'll just buy anything and this, this sordidness and the desperation but also um in i think it's the second patrick melrose book the whole book is one day in new york and he's at a very smart lunch maybe with some friends of his dad's and he is in the lose with his heroine and he's like well if i take it all now i won't have to go back in half an hour and have some that the logic
2: theory the, it is, yeah it's such great logic
0: <laughs> and the gift of those voices is you don't you know there is a bit of me as a reader thinking oh no 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 don't do that but also you've got a good point (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) you can't argue with it but you really must (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh god yeah all, all of that and it does it makes me shrivel but at the same time it just makes me elated and makes me you know feel feel seen and so so Carrie Fish, I would just reread over and over and over until the, the day I die um but then other good things I've read I've read I've read some really good news stuff I read a book called um Other People's Clothes by a author called Kala Henkel who's an artist um who lives in Berlin and who this is her first, her debut novel. It's brilliant. If you, so you ask, you asked me earlier about drinkers in books. Okay, these two main characters in this book, they are wild. They are art students living in Berlin, and and they are just fabulously messy and and they go out they try to get into that really famous club um it's called Bergain in Berlin yeah. that no one can get in and and they try and get in and it's just hilarious the, the ways that they fail and succeed at, at doing that and and yeah they're you know they they're going out and they're, they're they're drinking themselves silly and it's really good fun and it is it made me feel drunk reading it oh it was
0: brilliant good. i need you know, it's a party like, book
2: yeah OK, yeah, yeah, go for, like, read that because it honestly it is, it is the closest thing to drinking that you can actually get is reading that book. Um, I have to
0: just cut in and interrupt you rudely again and mention my favourite uh, Burgain book, which is in Oh My God, What a Complete Ashling. According to rumour, the whole the books originated, there was a... It was a Facebook page and a joke. And it was, um, the question was, who is brown mascara invented for? Why would anyone wear brown mascara? And they came (laughs) up with Ashling. Although lots of my friends with red hair have been like, me? It's a useful tool. That's what I'm
2: thinking. It's just like me right here. Although I actually do wear black these days because I like the pop. But it, when I was a teenager and in my early twenties, when I was still building up my courage to, you know, to go full full dark with the colour, I I went brown on on my eyelashes and I yeah had a really nice so, time with it.
0: But so Ashling is a sort of incredibly sweet, sorted out like she's the sort of girl who volunteers to organise a hen do. He has a really well stacked present mm-hmm. drawer. and she's waiting for a very long term boyfriend to propose and then life goes awry and everything is turned upside down um, for want of a less cliched expression and she becomes friends with some sort of very groovy young Dublin hipsters and they all go to Burgain and they're quite her very her cool very well dressed friends are really anxious that they won't get in and I think I don't think Ashling is wearing Crocs, but her sort of <laughs> very, like, practical ensemble for like, you know, it's going to be cold and room for a long night and I need to be comfy. Everyone's like, yes, you're in the hot new norm call. Look, come on in. It's all down to her. They actually get into the club. And then she's oh, moving so funny. a bit off. My four-year-old wears
2: Crocs. He, he goes around the garden and he looks like, with his dressing gown and looks like one of the golden girls. It's just oh.
0: fantastic. <laughs> living your best most comfortable life I think <laughs> totally. but he's full <laughs> imagine the dude in um, The Big Lebowski
2: oh my god I love the dude I want to be the dude and whenever I have my dressing gown on around the house that's
0: who I feel like I am that's who I aspire to be I think we owe him a great debt over the last year for glamorizing. Totally, I mean, he called it chic down to a
2: tee, didn't he? Before it even existed, he was doing lockdown dressing.
0: But um, other people's clothes, I think, I must read yes. because it's I really love. good. And and I've read some
2: brilliant nonfiction as well. A book called Brown Baby by Nika Shukla, that was fantastic. That's about being a dad, but it's also an exploration of race and food and feminism and fatherhood all mixed up together and it's just so beautiful and clever and it's really the way that Nikesh explores his relationship with feminism and the way that he wants to get better at you know talking about feminism it really I could just respond to that about how I feel as a white woman and how you know I want to get better about talking about race and understand you know more understanding of all the, the layers and complexities. And so, yeah, so so it was really, really interesting for me to read and just have that parallel and that comparison in my mind, which he so cleverly sets up. Um, but yeah, it's just a really funny, moving book.
0: I've definitely got that on my personal. We've had Nikesh on this podcast, one of our very first oh, guests, Nikesh. and I love his writing. And It's very funny. But this does feel like a really great time as well for books, rather than books that we relate to a non-fiction that's really about widening perspectives and horizons
2: I think we need to don't we We I think
0: that really yeah I think the pandemic has made
2: us all hopefully a little bit kinder um and and more appreciative of humans around us and so we just want to make the world nicer for everyone I think and more equal for everyone and and so yeah hopefully we're all we're all on that train and we're all a bit more aware of our part to play you know in, in in doing that and it's not just and it's not just words it's not just talk even though that will get you a long way I think that you know it's about sticking your neck out more and well that's certainly what it's about for me so yeah I've really been really been trying to pay attention to that and really been yeah reading the little bits that I am able to read just really trying to to just widen my view um, and not not always go, but the comfort reads have had their place, but not always go back to those. I think that's really important.
0: Definitely. I've really had those periods of my life where I've just wanted to read something that feels safe and something that I know and love. And actually, you know, over the last year, you know, especially sort of with the protests in America, I guess, and I really had to a bit of a, a reckoning and think realising just I need to read not less books by people who look like me who have had a very similar experience but just really a lot more books from people who've got completely different experiences and I must you know shut up and listen and it's all very well for me to talk about the how I think the publishing model not you know to single out publishing as being uniquely bad because in that it's a Capitalist business that needs to be profitable, and all of those models, you know, are not really fit for purpose, and certainly mm. are run in a way that I mean it's very easy for, you know, for white people and straight people and men to have an easy time with it, and everyone else doesn't. But you know, I needed to kind of to vote with my, with my feet and my eyes and my pounds, and start reading a lot more black writers and asian writers and stop reading about you know funny memoirs by white ladies which which i love and i find very funny and i probably find them very funny in part because of you know recognizing myself and my, yeah. my foibles but so i think um it's brathwaite's book i am not your baby mother that oh, really that really opened my eye and i think i was i think expecting to, picking up up and thinking gosh you know i'm going to learn this is going to be quite earnest and thoughtful and I was really delighted by the the pace and her voice and how I don't know anyone who's written about something that is so painful and harrowing and complicated with such a sort of energy and and a land and her voice is such a pleasure to be in that book is such a joy even when she's talking about the most painful and overwhelming things yeah I agree I loved that book
2: I absolutely loved it um but it was very it was hard to read a lot of it um even though it's very very pacey as you say and very energetic and very fresh the figures are just staggering I mean that you know it's it's just like you're five times a black woman is five times more likely to die in childbirth I mean I cannot I cannot yeah get my head around that really as, as a as a stat. It's just unthinkable, isn't it? It's just like horrific. And um, and then I love the way that Candice explores all the me- mental health issues that lead on from that, well, that that are connected to that. Um and, and in her own life as well as, you know, I thought it was a really good mixture of of staggering stats, but then also, you know, the personal painful memoir um and, and yeah it's such a brave thing to do isn't it just just lay your your life and soul wide open like that and 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 yeah and I, I really thought it was it it really felt very enlightening for me to read it and to be so aware of the language as well that that so often you know is is used and misused and the, mm. and the stereotype of the the angry aggressive black woman in in labor is part of the reason why there's that horrible stat it's all connected and it's all it, it's all a spectrum isn't it of things that we need to be more aware of and be more active in in, in smashing
0: being forced to acknowledge how i am the ways in which i am part of the problem is mm. that was very confronting and uncomfortable but oh my god it's supposed to be uncomfortable when you compare that you know me feeling a bit bad and a bit awkward to being that vulnerable when you should be in the care of the medical community and having a baby yeah yeah right it's like who's having
2: the worst time
0: right yeah. it's
2: um it's just yeah I, I really do feel like I have I've learned a lot of my eyes been opened in the past in the past year much more and and it's not comfortable but it's really important that it's not and it's really important that we don't expect it to be I think you know as a white person Mm. I really want to 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 really be helpful and useful and not make it about me at the same time you know not sort of make it about my feelings or Mm. what I'm doing or not doing but at the same time you know help further progress and help and
1: help create a more equal world You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: We'll be back to Emma's soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week, The Friend by Sigrid Nenez. This is ostensibly the story of one woman and her dog. A New York writer's mentor dies by suicide and she inherits his great Dane. But it quickly becomes a philosophical meditation on the function of writing, art, creativity, reality and humanity. And it's funny. Nunez's beautiful book has a fluidity and a sharpness to it. Every so often a sentence captures an idea with such a crispness that it feels utterly arresting. Nunez has a unique voice and comparison is reductive. But if you want one, imagine Zadie Smith and Milan Kundera wrote a novel together. The Friend by Sigrid Nunez is published by Riverhead Press and out now now back to emma a book that i have talked about on this podcast before and it's about the experience of black womanhood and i really felt like oh i know i have to read this and i know it's going to be quite harrowing but i'm so glad i read it and it really electrified me was uh, a by gail jones
2: yeah a book i really enjoyed that does that too if you read queenie yes that's fantastic and that's yeah sexual adventures but but you know through the eyes of a black woman and just that that experience and and the huge I don't know, there's such huge fun in that book isn't there I really thought it was it was just brilliant it was so and and I think that I think that Candice has adapted that for Candice Carty Williams isn't it I think she's adapted it for tv and she's written the pilot herself which oh fantastic really oh, I can't wait so to see I think that. Yeah, I know. Me too. I think. Yeah, I think that's going to be on Channel Four soon, which is so exciting. Um, yeah, that's the, Everyone's talking about
0: Luster right now. Mm. So I haven't read that, but that's on my pile. Oh, I really want to read that. You are in for a treat. <laughs> it really, it, it kind of, it shimmers. There's a, a heat to it. It's like a blue flame. That book and Ooh, the good. way that she, um, that Raven Nolani writes about loneliness. I think and of that awful and I think you do this so brilliantly as well when you're young and that you're always veering between this chronic hope and despair and you know your sort of outer shell is that like oh you know everything's beginning for me and this is so bumpy and terrible and awkward but things are, are going to take off any day soon and you know there's almost that lie that we maybe women especially um, tell ourselves, like, oh, the worse the origin story, the better the payoff. But then that point you get often towards the middle of your 20s when the scales begin to fall from your eyes and you start thinking, oh, maybe I am being exploited. Yeah, it's so true. It's such a good point. A lot like that story Cat Person um, by Christine. Oh, yeah. I read that. Yeah, that was in the New York. Yes. Is it? empowering to do that is it taking something back or is it just making yourself part of the problem
2: you know we've been talking so much about sex and booze in books Mm. and i have thought of a character that i love that does all of those things lots of sex and lots of boozing and is the character of jake in the last werewolf which by glenn duncan which i have talked to you about before yes i was really Um, hoping
0: you would bring up the last werewolf
2: oh my god it's so good it's so good it's so good and and yeah i mean He's a character who really goes for it because he's a werewolf. And so he doesn't actually get drunk or hungover. He gets drunk, but he doesn't get hungover and he he can't die. And so, unless it's like a silver bullet. So yeah, so that's, I mean, that's just the way that he describes drinking. There's one scene where, He's the last werewolf, so he's really lonely. So he drinks a lot. Um, and he he's working his way through the mini bar in a hotel, and just the way he describes the drink, you know, that that, that scene is just beautiful. Um, and yeah, he drinks a lot, he likes a lot of single malt whiskey, as I do. And and he's just brilliant at yeah, at, at describing Glenn Duncan's brilliant at describing that and bodily functions and and all the, the weird werewolf stuff, but also obviously it's very very human as well in his feelings about about being lonely and the last one of his kind and um searching kind on of a metaphysical quest. Um and and yeah, it's just it's such a it's such a great book. I really I'd, I'd love to I, I want you to read it and then we can talk about it.
0: I really should have made an effort to read it before this podcast because, listeners, um Emma and I were both on a brilliant podcast called Book Off where we had to fight to the death um in a sort of our book based way. And we had to pitch our the books we loved the most and um see which would win. Um, and you okay. won with your Jilly Cooper in you. <laughs> As I so said that, at the forgiving, time, forgiving you, it's fine. Bringing Jilly, it is like bringing a gun to a knife fight. Um, but <laughs> I wanted to know, when did you first read The Last Werewolf? How did that book find its way to you? So,
2: I think it was at a brilliant festival I heard Glenn Duncan reading from it it's a brilliant festival called Curious Arts Festival which doesn't exist anymore sadly like so many little festivals but it was brilliant and I bought I think I bought the book from the little bookstore there and then I read it and I was just like oh wow because it's it really is a book that does everything it stretches from the hilarious to the philosophical um to from the physical um from the you know the visceral descriptions of of bodily things um, to very 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 abstract amazing insight um, to relationships human relationships Um, uh, and it's yeah I, I just was blown away but it also it's really satisfying book in that it's it feels quite old school in that it feels quite feels it's got it's got like a real Victorian feel to it maybe because he the werewolf is so old because he's like hundreds of years old um so he's quite formal in in a lot of the ways he talks and 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 goes about life and 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 also it's just it's just a good old love story at heart you know Daisy it's just like that's why I think you'd love it as well because it's just a beautiful beautiful brilliant um love story and and yeah it's it's just it's satisfying in in on every level and I really really recommend it it's it's one of my all-time favorite books and it was a huge inspiration for animals for my book animals um just in terms of writing about the yeah the the, the drinking and the the experience of having a body and being hairy when you shouldn't be hairy and that's what society was telling you and blah 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 um but but yeah it, it was a huge inspiration but also just the way he goes into things like physics and particle physics just very casually and philosophy just very casually and and you know I just yeah I, I love books that just
0: point around like that. Wow I am sold and the author must be <laughs> a heck of a reader because that's quite like yeah. normally at a literary festival you know who you want to see but was it all new to you, Did you just kind of you know drift in after a cider and think oh I'm intrigued by this <laughs> werewolf. <laughs> Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't a very
2: big literary festival. So, um so it was kind of, yeah, there was just like a couple of tents and so, so yeah. And it was just, it, and I think, I actually think that the author was reading it with a band playing music. How cool is that? Oh, like? yeah, wow. Yeah, had a band who were his friends who were playing music to accompany the reading. Isn't that such a clever idea? And when festivals happen again, or maybe it's something that can be done by Zoom. um that yeah it was just it was brilliant that there was a live soundtrack to the reading it was it felt really smart it felt like it was a
0: a really good radio play so I think it was extra effective because of that oh I love it maybe when festivals are back because I think I don't know about you I'm so (laughs) I can't zoom anymore I want to do it in real life maybe we can team up and have a little cabal and it's a pitch they'll let us have a band if there are a few of us we can have like a A little gang, and we'll do soundtrack readings. Oh my god! Can we have a tour bus? Yes, please. Yes, Bagsy top bulk. As long as I don't have to drive it, I don't mind where I go. (laughs) I can't drive. You can't
2: drive. I can't drive because you'd you'd be drinking too much. I can drive, but I will be drinking too much. Um, no, we'll have a driver, darling. We'll, <laughs> drive. we'll have a driver
0: for this, you know. It's going to be a big band. Might have to be the bassist or something. We might have to double up. <laughs> I don't know why I'm, you know, trying to worry about <laughs> spreadsheets. and what. We need to make this recession-proof yeah. somehow. Don't
2: go too far into the logistics, you know, of this. Just, you know, all, all the sexiness will go. <laughs> Let's
0: not let's not over admin. -admin. (laughs) On that subject of we're back to sexiness again. Can you remember the first sexy book you read? Growing up, can
2: can, and it was a Mills and Boon's book at my nana's house. My nana was a big Mills and Boons fan, and I used to secretly read them when I was around there because they were so dirty and exciting. um And I can't remember the title, but it had a blue cover, and it had also it had a red headed woman on the cover, which for me as a young, much taunted ginger, it was very exciting that that a ginger woman could not only be on the cover of a book, but be a sexual object as well. I mean, problematic, yeah, (laughs) really, but. But I was just, I was, I loved this book because it had a sexy ginger woman on it and it was full of really great dirty bits. And I so, thought, yeah, I used to secretly read it like in my nan's bathroom. And she had loads of them. Um, she was really into them, which we never talked about, and she really wasn't a likely candidate for but but you know, for liking sexy books, she was like very, very proper and wore a Cardi buttoned right up to the top. But, but yeah, she, she really loved Mills and Peas And that's what, that was my first sexy book read. And then and yeah, I just kind of I've always liked reading. So I mean who doesn't really?
0: look um, like But that's the yeah. really fascinating thing, isn't it? With someone that you know very well and see all the time. And yeah, in their reading, you can learn about a part of them that they otherwise keep very hidden. And that shock, okay. like, Oh, you like this too.
2: Yeah, yeah. And she'd be like, you know, Emma, do you want ham or cheese on your tea cake? <laughs> and I'd have to come out of the bathroom with a red face, you know, and try and be all normal. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh how please Nana, <laughs> and i have just been reading you know about very exciting things well I mean it wasn't that rude not by today's standards but you know it was for, for a, a girl of 13 I'd come out sweating and have to you know try and calmly eat my lunch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> were those books left in the bathroom
2: or were you sort of bringing them with you and? I think they were in the bathroom I think that's where they lived and imagine like my nana's bathroom it was everything you'd want it to be it was like there was there was like a, um, one of those toilet roll dolls, you know, that you, uh, the, 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 on top of the to- a toilet roll cosy. It was like a, a, a ballerina with a big frilly dress. Everything in there was pink. And then these like, these books, I think, were on a table that was covered with like a large tablecloth doily. Although, oh, were they in a bedroom? Because a bedroom was on the way there. So I could have very easily run in and out of there and stashed the book. Um, knowing no one would know- come and
0: interrupt you. Yes yep
2: yep but that was it it was the bathroom was the
0: place to go where
2: you wouldn't be interrupted
0: which brings us back to women having the space to develop their own literary and erotic imaginations and having to find those spaces where they can have the time to themselves
2: yeah totally and you know a bathroom of one's own um was what I had to had to try and find and and often it's the case now that's the that's the best place to just get you know quick five minutes thinking time um but I'm much better you know I I think I've got much better as I get older at, at working out how to get that you know that that precious daydreaming time and that that quiet time I used to go away to the Highlands of Scotland on my own in a motorhome to write, which was wonderful. I used to go for weeks on end. And I will do again. I just can't write right now, um, because of aforementioned children. But but in the future, you know, I will be able to do that on my own again for long, long swathes of time. And that makes me very happy to do that. And and I think that's when I'm not sure though, it's when I write my best stuff, you know. I think it's just when I'm happiest and when I've got the most clear thinking time, but I'm not sure. I actually produce all that much up there. I think when I write my best stuff and when I've always written my best stuff is five minutes before the deadline, like most people, (laughs) just that that pressure wherever I am, you know, you've just got to, when you've just got to get it done, um, that's when I think I, yeah, something about that really crystallizes all of my thoughts and everything. And it's just like that mad dash to the finish.
0: I was recently you can very... can hear
2: my baby. Can you hear my baby in the I background I can. There?
0: Hello. You can. Yeah. <laughs> she's in the other uh, room, but
2: she's very loud.
0: Loud <laughs> singing, so, yeah. I think, which is lovely. Yeah, cool.
2: It is. It is. Yeah, she is. She's just learning how to make certain sounds, and she's very, very pleased with herself about it.
0: <laughs> I know we just talked about Candice Breathwaite, but are there any books that you love about motherhood, or any novels with experiences from sort of first-time parents that you've really responded to? Madame Bovary is a book that I go back to quite often as well. And I think
2: I always loved the part in it because it just felt so true and so horrific and so like the kind of thing that you really don't read very often, written by a man, but just really brilliant. There's a point where Emma Bovary is in the living room with her baby crawling on the floor and she just pushes the baby with her foot and it's just that very simple quiet violence that just felt oh it just you know it's such a taboo and it's such a a terrifying moment in the book feel it just felt so it just like it captured so much of the the mixture of, of feelings that you feel quite often as a new parent I think and and I just thought it was yeah no I thought I'd never read anything like that and to say that was written quite a while ago as well it just felt so revolutionary and um and yeah it's just yeah really I really love that that I really love Madame Bovary just for that one tiny moment that one tiny special moment um and then other books let me think more recent Which others have I read? I really love The Argonauts by Maggie Nelson. I don't know if you've read that Oh, I've never read that. Oh, it's fabulous. It's so wonderful. Um, And it's about the experience. It's all about bodies. And it's about um, Maggie Nelson writes of her experience of being pregnant and and going through childbirth at the same time as her partner is transitioning. Um, And so it's about both of their experiences um, and... And about yeah being with a trans person at the same time as feeling like your own body is is becoming something that you're not in control of, and it's just it's just fantastic. It's just, it's just such a I found that such an enlightening, wonderful, beautiful, sad book but ultimately um really hopeful read so yeah so that was that was a big inspiration also Sinead Gleason's Constellations mm, is a that really book. beautiful book um about about yeah the experience of the body of having a body and and her her own experiences of all the many things that her body has been through um I thought that yeah such a beautiful book um and then what else I also um I really loved Maggie O'Farrell's I am I am I am which is her memoir about nearly dying several times in her life and she describes childbirth in that and the experience of first-time motherhood and that that I found that very affecting and very moving and and yeah very very brilliant
0: again I think it's such a powerful way to share this difficult experience I'm not a parent I sometimes I'm guilty of seeing everything that surrounds parenthood and the way we talk about it. It's like, oh, you know, it's magical and natural and joyous and mm. beautiful. And I'm always really, really struck by the people who talk about what happens and talk about how it, it can be so lonely and confusing and, and bewildering. Mm. And I really want to read um, The Argonauts because that idea of being... You know, oh, it's so good. What the world tells you you should do with your body and that feeling mm-hmm. strange and not, not comfortable or easy or straightforward. I think that's a really interesting idea to explore. Yeah. There's another book
2: called Um Vagina, a Re-education by Lynn Enright. Have you read that one?
1: I have
0: read that. I'm just trying to, I think I've read it. It's really good. Well I was reading something about. else about vaginas. Yeah.
2: Um <laughs> I think I'm just looking at my bookshelves opposite, which are opposite me as I speak to you now. And I think I think my books that I've loved my whole life largely fall into two categories, you know. I think, or a lot of, a lot of them do. I've got my I feel like I've got my punky, dark, anarchic Scottish women that I really love. <laughs> and Kirsten Innes and Jenny Fagan there. Oh, Jen Ashworth's there too. She's not Scottish, but she's, she's from Lancashire, But so I kind of think of her as Northern. Um, and 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 they're very very actually jenny fagan is a writer that i'd love to talk about because she is so good and she's got a new book out that's called look and booth which is about the devil's daughter which is wonderful it's in edinburgh it's fabulous and also she had a book called the panopticon which came out a few years ago and that is one of my all-time favorite books as well it's just it's about a young girl growing up um in the care system and and it's about yeah her her life in, in care and and her her foster parent has just died and and it's but it's so funny and it doesn't sound like it's going to be funny does it from that description but she is just so funny um because she's a teenage girl with a really smart mouth and and it's just an incredible book so if you've not read the panopticon then definitely definitely read that scene. it's just so good um and and then and then I've also got my I love a lot of American female writers as well, like Chloe Caldwell, Catherine Heine, Jennifer Egan. And in my mind, they're like a dirty girl gang who live in my bookshelves. Both of those are like dirty girl gangs who live in my bookshelves that I just sort of join every now and then um, and run around with.
0: Oh, I was really late to the Catherine Heine party and Standard Deviation kept coming up on the podcast. Like, yes, yes, I'll yeah, get to it's it. So it was just, I just yeah. feel like that <laughs> sort of Sisyphe the books and the more I read, like every, every book I read means I somehow have another 10 books to read. I don't know how it works. And then I did, I think I read the new one, Early Morning Riser first um, and I got yeah. sent the proof and I loved yeah. it. And then I loved Standard Deviation and I loved it. And I was just, you know, like... Where does she live? I think like Maryland. I'm going to go to Maryland. I'm going to sit on her doorstep and just say, "Please, (laughs) a sentence for me to sustain me."
2: (laughs) Or I thought you were going to say, "Stop writing books because I just have to read them immediately, and I've got too many to read."
0: No, I'm Um, not. She also tackle the the piles for her.
2: (laughs) I think she had a book called Single Carefree Mellow out, which is short stories, which is also very good. That's her first. That's ages and ages ago, but it's really good. So there you go. Sorry, there's another one for your no, pile. That's,
0: no, I'm delighted. God, I need to stop talking um, about Laurie Colwyn because I just, again, I'm addicted to her. But um, that lovely sort of, I need more Catherine Heine and um, where can I find her? And for that sort of that vibe, um, again, Laurie Colwyn, I've only been reading her for A year, and I just love her so much. And I think... I haven't read any. Well, Catherine Heine, they've just reissued um, Happy All The Time, which is wonderful. And uh, Catherine Heine, wrote the introduction for it. And it's really that feeling of being mostly in Manhattan in the 70s. And it sort of little happens. It's kind of the vibe is Woody Allen, but not problematic, I guess. There's a real... (laughs) A sweetness and a suspicion. She sort of writes very generously about wasps, but also about <laughs> how someone's got it. <laughs> well, the, so the the best character in Happy All the Time, and I think ever, is Misty, who is. Um, I think oh, this... you don't
2: mean the insect wasps, do you? It's just clicked. Oh. <laughs> Pride, that's hilarious. <laughs> I was like, well, someone's gotta defend those uh, whops
0: because I hate the bastards. <laughs> I was like, I mean, you know, because we were talking about, you know, people growing up in the Scottish care system. And we're like, yes, class warfare, this is what we need. <laughs> it's just a universe that you want to live in, in the way that other people, I think, want to live in, you know, forests peopled by Furry elves with pointy ears. I want to live in Laurie Colwyn's <laughs> 1970s Manhattan. <laughs> I'll join you. I think it sounds good. We'll we'll bring the bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just drive the bus there. I mean, who else do you mention? Because I didn't know the writers other than Catherine Heine that you talked about, and I'm very okay, excited. So Jennifer. To hear more.
2: Yeah, sure. Oh, so Jennifer, Jennifer Egan, Egan, of course. I love. You sure do, yeah. Visit from, from, from the, the Goon, Goon Squad. Squad. Um, and then Chloe Caldwell. What's her What's her vibe like? Her vibe. She's just really funny really smart um really vulnerable um and very confessional style um and but and yeah just Carrie Fisher but 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 now, and, and herself.
0: Oh, take my money, booksellers. I'm so excited. <laughs> Can you remember any books that you have bought in bookshops and been surprised by and loved? Anything where you've just, you know, judged it by its cover and thought, I have no idea what this is, but that might be the book for me. Yeah, do you know what? I found
2: Laurie Moore, who actually needs oh. to go in that, in that gang, doesn't she? Mm. But I think, yeah, I found her that way. Um and so yeah, and, and I first sort of started reading her, uh, the gate on the stairs. Is that the right title? Sorry, yes. I, I is think that the one uh, yeah. where
0: she's the, the babysitter and the couple have adopted a exactly. kid, and it's a bit yeah, weird. Yeah, exactly. And I was just started reading it, and I was like,
2: who is this? This is magnificent and um and yeah I've just loved her ever since she's just amazing I love her short stories as well actually there's a mm. collection of hers called Bark which is really funny and I've I've i heard her read and I'm trying to think where. It was in America somewhere or, no it wasn't it was I think it was at the South Bank actually years ago and she was a fabulous reader as well as you can imagine she um, she just she's just so droll um and it was just great yeah seeing her and hearing her remember that remember remember those days Daisy, oh. when we could go and see and hear authors who would um, you
0: rush out and see now if there was a kind of I don't know you know your favorite author at Wembley Arena like COVID or no COVID here I come who would you go and who would be your Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show author wise
2: oh wow okay so maybe like Anne Tyler oh
0: god yes yeah Have you seen her read before? I never have. No, no, I never
2: have. I saw Margaret Atwood read. She came to Brighton, actually, to read a few years ago. And I took a really old, mouldy copy of Cat's Eye, which is probably my favourite book of hers. And I sort of stood in the queue at the end of a very, very, very long queue. And I went up to her and just sort of said... It's quite surely i've I've brought this book for you to sign it's a very old moldy one and she sort of looked at me with a raised eyebrow and i realized that that actually isn't a very flattering thing to say to an author not only have you allowed their book to get moldy but you haven't bought the new one which is all they really want you to do (laughs) i love that. the Atwood eyebrow
0: you know now you're like get back in that queue and spend your (laughs) 16.99 Oh, that's so I'm going to do next time.
2: Yep. So, yeah,
0: there you go. Word of the wise. I, I was supposed <laughs> to go and see Zadie Smith in Sheffield and I forgot. Oh, wow. It, you forgot? How could you forget? Because I live in Margate and that's far from Sheffield. Okay. And I made various other arrangements and plans. And I had that, like, oh, oh, the 16th. That's this 16th. They're the same day. And that's sort of, I couldn't get there in time. And I just, you know, now I... <sighs> oh I could kick myself a thousand times.
2: I bet Sadie Smith is so amazing reading because I bet her patter is great you know because I think that she's just some of some of the things I really cling to as a writer are things that she said in interviews so I think her books Mm. are wonderful but she's also just a wonderful thinker and a wonderful speaker and um, you know she doesn't like to go on she doesn't like to be on social media because you're not allowed to have conflicting ideologies you're not allowed to you know to chop and change between what you think. and um you have to define yourself. and 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 I really related to that, and I thought, yeah, I think that you know that's a really smart thing to say that, and especially if it's a writer, you need you need to be full of those conflicting mm. thoughts and ideologies and desires and things. And as a human, probably you do as well. Um and so, yeah, she's she's just said so many wise things over the years that I've just thought, God, I love you. I remember when White teeth came out all those years ago. And I was just like, oh wow, you know, yeah. And it was, it was just the book, the book that everyone was suddenly so excited about. It was just, it was so brilliant.
0: I did love her book of essays that came out a year ago. Being at a time when I thought I do not want to read anything about the news or the pandemic mm. or anything about the state of discourse now, whatever. Like I'm, I have no room for it. I cannot be in the same world as the world for the next few months. And Zadie Smith's voice was the only voice that could make any of that bearable. And it really was just like someone opening a skylight in my brain. It's not often there's a brain on on the planet that is that
2: soothing and that clever at at the same time, is it really? I think that that combination of nurturing and wanting to, to soothe people and help them understand things at the same time is just being incredible incredibly like razor sharp clever it's a really unusual combination
0: I think Patricia Lockwood kind of has that and she's a really different writer but she and Zadie Smith both inspire those feelings within me in the enormous generosity of that intelligence Mm. of really wanting to use what what they have for good and wanting to share and explore and to sort of create something that's dialectic, not didactic. I think you would really love her new novel. The first half is chaotic and then the second half is tragic but strangely calm. Mm. And the buzz of the ideas and the urgency initially is quite painful and quite uncomfortable. And it's almost like reading a migraine, but great. And then yeah. this sort of very strange and beautiful second half, you know, something is sort of emerging and shimmering. It's a bit like, you know, the first book is magical. the first half is magical, and the second half is showing you how to see it. Oh, my God, but Ooh. you would love her memoir, Priest Daddy, her book before that about her, her father. And and her yeah. father is a sort of guitar-playing, deaf leopard-loving, whiskey-drinking, loudmouth, who decides he wants to be a Catholic priest and becomes wow. one. But it's extraordinary. <laughs> sounds and sounds amazing. Her mum is such a star of that book as well. And just the funniness of her family and the genuine her appreciation for the the weird and it gets so weird oh I'm gonna I'm gonna add that to my list that sounds wonderful thank you I've had such a lovely time talking to you about books and I could go on for days I'm going to try and you know quit we're ahead we could do this all again one day I one know
2: to. I have I've got I've got a zoom with a friend a friend's 40th zoom because that's what we do these days she's having yeah like like just, just everyone on zoom to celebrate her party so,
0: and, uh, so yes.
2: which literary inspired castle
0: is that in
2: if only I think it's just at her house in Old Trafford I can't even think of any books in Old Trafford
0: there must be some (laughs) you could write one
2: then maybe maybe that'll be my next setting I hope so to honor Old Trafford um I was going to recommend one more sort of category of books if that's okay I just thought it might be handy because I write um, for screen as well mm. and and I found some books really really useful when I was doing that and I thought if anyone who's listening quite fancies having a go at screenwriting then I have some hearty recommendations on that front um so would that be would
0: that be handy would that yes be please and even if okay. it's not for our listeners it is for me tell me everything oh, you know yeah, I'm very yeah, keen yeah. to know your secrets
2: so I read a really brilliant book which which relates to um fiction as well actually um i read um a book called from page to screen which is about broke back mountain and how that went from being a short story by annie prue into being the film and it's an amazing it is a collection of essays that that describe the adaptation process from every angle um including an essay by annie prue herself and and it's just really fantastic and and yeah so i really recommend that book Um, and then also I read a book called Writing the Romantic Comedy by a writer called Billy Murnett um, which is is really great if you want to write rom-coms and it's just but it's just a really brilliantly smart well-written book about Hollywood but also about the yeah the the technical side of scripts because screenplays are so formulaic there is a real maths to them and this book really breaks it down using examples from films that you know and love and so it's really it's I found it really useful and then also there's a writer called Sid Field S-Y-D Sid um and he's got a couple of books out um and he's really good at sort of setting exercises to get you going as well so so yeah so those kind of three um i'd really recommend if you want to if you want to try screenwriting
0: get into it wonderful ever oh, that's so useful thank you so much oh well it's been such a joy thank you so much thank you thank you for helping my brain to work Huge thanks to the amazing Emma for joining us. Adults is now available in paperback and published by Borough Press. After the Storm is published by The Welcome Collection and published on Thursday, May the 6th and available to pre-order. Thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. Your Booked is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by ACAST. You can follow us on social media at whybooked huge thanks to everyone who's been leaving five-star reviews. It really helps us to bring new listeners to the podcast. If you have a friend who loves books too, go on, send them your favourite episode. You can find a list of all the books mentioned by Emma at com slash booked and check out her selection in our bookshop on bookshop.org. For now, I leave you with this from E.B. White. Writing is an act of faith, not a trick of grammar. See you next time.